All right, welcome to the Armchair Commanders podcast. My name is John. And I'm Jack. And this week, we are joined by Ben Stanley. Uh, Ben is a multifaceted individual who has quite the uh, presence on the social medias. I originally uh, came across him when he did, it seemed like a billion different reviews of uh, A Christmas Carol. And uh, greatly enjoyed that. So we thought we'd invite him over. Ben, hello. If you could uh, tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name is Ben Stanley. I am an artist. I do a lot of like fandom-related artwork. Kind of my style is I write out movie scripts into posters. And so that's kind of how I've gained my presence on social media. But then I also do things like those Christmas Carol reviews and uh, a lot of like entertainment based stuff like that. Nice. So I, I do have to ask, um, I've seen a lot of your Christmas Carol reviews, but I don't think I've seen a video that explains why you tortured yourself with like 150 movies in such a short span of time. What, what inspired you to take on that project? Well, it wasn't torture. Uh, I've always been passionate about Christmas Carol. I I had the idea for that project a couple years ago. But then when I kind of was inspired to do it back in September, I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I got to start now. And so I watched, I think, at least one a day because they vary in length. Um, but... I guess the motivation was because I didn't grow up watching any of the film versions. Uh, only Before the marathon, I'd only ever seen three of them. And I didn't like grow up with them. I grew up going to theater productions of it. And every okay. theater production is a different script and different decisions they make. And so I had always been passionate about like what aspects of the book you should keep in. Because uh, the Robert Zemeckis film from 2009 came out the same year that we studied Christmas Carol when I was in high school. And so I was like amazed at like how many details they kept. And so I just wanted to see how much the other ones held up to it. I know when I first uh, reached out to you, uh, there was a little bit of hesitancy because obviously we're a war movie podcast and you're like, how does Christmas Carol translate to, to war movies, but I, I'm glad I was able to, to convince you to come over, which which brings us to the choice you, you did make, which I think is uh, kind of right on par with the philosophy you took with your previous review series, which is another adaptation of a book into a play slash musical, uh, the critically acclaimed Hamilton. Um, gotta say, our, our listeners at home can't see it, but he is wearing a Hamilton shirt right now. Yes. It's very nice. Thank you. So, uh, well, my, the artwork that put me on the map basically was when I wrote out the entirety of Hamilton, which was o- almost 20,000 words. And so when that went crazy viral, like December of 22, that was kind of when selling the artwork became like a sustainable thing. So that, uh, it's always been important to me solely because it, it 
put my career in motion, basically. Right. So were you a, were you, were you a Hamilton fan, like right off the bat when it first came out or was there like, when, when did you get like really into it? Um, I somehow did, so I was really into theater growing up. I did musical theater extensively in high school, but I think Hamilton debuted a year after high school. And I didn't really hear about it. I heard a little bit of like, okay, the same guy did it in the Heights, did something about American history, and I didn't know much about it. I, I think I listened to the soundtrack in like 2016, 17. I was like, this is I mean, kind of cool, I guess. But it wasn't until I think like 2017 that I like really got into it and started listening to it frequently. And I think around the same time my college roommates were getting into it. And so that was kind of when I became more aware of it and delve into it. I know 2019 is when I read the book uh, and then 2020 when the movie came out. So it, it kind of ebbs and flows in terms of the Hamilton phases that it seems like every theater kid goes through a Hamilton phase at some point. I would say my first real introduction to Hamilton was in college and We'll swing back to to my uh, initial reaction to it, but Jack, when was the uh, when was the first time you really saw or explored Hamilton? You know the 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 day it dropped on Disney Plus is when I initially watched it, but I never did finish it for reasons I don't really remember. It's long, and, surpri- <laughs> and surprisingly, I just never picked it up again i don't know why but i'm glad i finished it up i remember uh the first time i i tried watching it on disney plus i i put it on for a fourth of july celebration so like i'm one of those weirdos that fourth of july is one of my favorite holidays um so i was like yeah what's a better choice than throwing hamilton on tv for fourth of july and like you know, it's like you said, it's a, uh, it is a long watch and uh, I was passed out before I could even finish it. So it, this is, pr- I've, I've probably attempted watching it five separate times, but this is maybe the second time I've actually watched it start to finish. Sure. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, my, like I said, my first introduction to it was in college and uh I was not super stoked on it when I first got introduced to it. And I would, I'd like to preface this with it's, it's not for any of the like stupid, like Fox news, like reasons. Uh, it was because I was in a, uh, I was in a political science class and it was like a writing intensive course. And, you know, it, it's literally just, Hey, you got to write a 15 page paper so you can show you can write long papers. It's one of those kind of classes. Right. But the teacher at the time had such like a, such a love for this. And like, it seemed like every single class, it didn't matter what we were talking about. She found a way to shoehorn Hamilton in there. And yep. like this, this was before there was, long before there was the the disney 
like recorded. So literally she would just be playing individual songs for us. And by the end of it, I was like, I will never see this fucking play in my life. Like, because, because I had heard all the songs out of right. order. And because of this person who had this love of it so much, I was like, I don't get it. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. What does this have to do with me writing a 15 page paper? I get Hamilton was a very good writer, but like, yeah, stop, stop pushing this on me. Uh, so it, it took a hot minute for me to to give Hamilton a a chance. Yeah. So, like I said, okay, so, like, 2014 was the first time I saw In the Heights, which was Lin-Manuel Miranda's first musical. And I saw, like, a high school production of it and thought it was great. It was the first time I'm like, wow, he's, like, integrating Latin music and rap into this thing. I thought it it was a really cool idea. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was a couple years later. I'm like, okay, so the same guy who did this, because he, Little Miranda also played the lead in, in The Heights. So, like, okay, so the same guy is playing Hamilton. And I, like, again, I didn't quite pick up on it. And when I was starting to, like, dip my toe into it, I would just listen to the first three songs. Like, I would just jam out to that. Like, I did that for, like, a year before I ever, like, del- delved into the rest of it. But, I mean, to the point about your teacher, Hamilton fans are, like, notoriously really annoying. <laughs> uh, like, I'm not going to deny that. And I was part of, like, the Reddit forum and that sort of thing, even before the movie came out. Um, because the movie was shot in 2016, so it had the original Broadway cast. And then they just sat on it for, like, five years. And they sold it to the highest bidder. To, of who got the distribution rights. So Disney bought the distribution rights like early 2020, and they announced that they were going to put it in theaters in, I think it was October of 21, was when they originally announced it. Pandemic hit, and they just decided, they're like, okay, we're going to throw it up on 4th of July weekend. And that was it. It was so... It was supposed to be a theatrical. A lot of people are like, oh, they just had, Disney just had this thing that they just threw up because of the pandemic. It's like, no, it was supposed to have a theatrical release. And also, Disney didn't film it. Uh, I've listened to an interview with the guy who, the editor of the film, and he basically would just like work on it a little bit here and there for like five years. The only thing that was changed when Disney bought it is they added in the introduction and then they bleeped two of the F bombs, and that was it. It was the exact same film. So it just, all of this is to say it really bugs me when people attach Disney's name to the movie when they didn't make it. They had no affiliation with its creation. But it was just on their platform. Yeah. It was another thing that they bought and took credit for. Joke's on them, though. They lost Steamboat Willie. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Eye for an eye. I really love the fact that uh, the day that they lost the uh, copyright to Steamboat Willie, uh, Rob Zombie announced a horror film with a uh, serial killer who dresses up as Mickey Mouse. I was like, "Right, kudos to you, man. Those stupid horror. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, with the, the Hamilton thing, so Lin-Manuel Miranda is 
generally known as being a very like generous, nice person. So he was actually thrilled that it was going to be put on Disney Plus because he wanted it to be something that was accessible to everyone. And so having it just be on streaming and people can partake of it however they will was something that he was all for. And I guess going back to you both saying that you didn't finish it, what I, so like, that was so weird because of pandemic and people were like craving for like new movies. So everyone was watching this, even people who weren't theater people who like are not used to an intermission and the stamina for like a three hour play. And it's not only that it's so long, it's so dense. And because of all the rapping and the, like the, the fast paced that it goes with, that's what I was saying with my poster, there were so many words with it. And so, yeah, it's really dense. So it can like wear on you. Usually I tell people it's better to just watch it in two sittings because the first act kind of completes the story of the American revolution. And then the second act is all of, you know, the, the aftermath until the rest political of career and whatnot. Right. I, uh, it's also, and mind you, like Lin-Manuel Miranda, he did, I think he did an excellent job. Like, I think it takes incredible skill. Like, don't get me wrong. I think the story of Alexander Hamilton is, he's a very interesting individual, led a, a very story-worthy life. Um, but also, the first thing that I remember... Like, I went to my wife after I finished this uh, movie version. And mind you, we we both have individual songs from this play, like, on our playlists. Like, uh, I love Here Comes a General. She's a huge fan of You'll Be Back. Um, Those people are. Yeah. They're, you know, they're, they're, the, they're, they're the big ones. Um but I remember going to her afterwards. I'm like, man, I'm a history nerd, but also I'm trying. And I know that Lin-Manuel uh, was one of, he, he helped produce his own musical, but he also, there were other producers involved, but I just remember going to her. I was like, I'm trying to imagine the pitch meeting for this musical. Right. Where there's, it's like they're sitting down. It's like, okay, hear me out. Musical about one of our founding fathers. Okay, check. Got it. It's going to have the revolution. It's going to have like the the founding of our country. Check. Got it. Who's it going to be about? Our first treasury secretary. Guy on the $10 what? bill. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking who? No, and, and it keeps going. Because that like when I first heard about it, I was like, okay, it's going to be a musical, and it's about the guy on the $10 bill. Okay, and also, it's going to be anachronistic in that it's going to be using modern-day language and hip-hop. Oh, and also, the entirety of the Founding Fathers are played by minorities. It's just like, all of these weird hooks, and, yeah, that's the premise. Oh, and also, it's in space. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's basically one step away from that. <laughs> The premise behind it of having it be in the style that it is, is, well, okay, 
Lin-Manuel has like said, it's like, well, when I first read the, the biography, I was like, this has to be something that you could do with hip hop because of the political tension. I'm like, no, it's because you know how to write rap, Lin. It, it's not. But anyway, the, the yeah, I mean, behind... don't get me wrong. He he did this in his style. Right. No shame in that. Like, this is 100 percent a Lin-Manuel production. Like, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. He's a very talented individual. But let's not pretend like. Alexander Hamilton's story is specifically meant for this. Yeah. Yeah. The notion of having all of the American characters played by minorities is the the line they always say is it is the story of America told by Americans today. So you have modern music styles and you have black and brown people and Asian people portraying it. And there's obviously some controversy there, but like what I've heard from, and for those who can't tell I'm white myself, the, that has had an impact on minorities who watch it because to them, the American history that you teach in school, like black people be like, well, that's, that's their history. My ancestors came to America on a slave ship. Whereas when they present Hamilton in this way, it unites a lot of people to realize like, no, this, this whole, the point of this country is it's the melting pot and it's all of these different cultures and peoples that come together. So it's much more than just colorblind casting that you see in theater. There's a lot more to it than that. And it, it has had made an impact on people. Absolutely. I think that's one of the greatest things that this musical does, which is, you know, taking groups of people who were pretty much disenfranchised from a good chunk of American history, because, you know, up until the the Civil War, you know, the the common story of a person of color is to be enslaved or to be treated as a second class citizen. Um, you know, the fact that they're able to take a subject which can honestly be stuffy a lot of the times and put it into an easy to understand language as well as like a modern language through hip hop, as well as being able to bring in those people who, you know, to be honest, didn't have a reason to care about that right. time period because because it's like, well, this isn't quote unquote our history. Um, I think, you know, like you said, the fact that taking the melting pot approach where it's like today we're all Americans, like even though, you know, lost my train of thought, but you, you get what I'm saying, yeah. which is it's, it's making, it's making a time period more accessible. Yeah. And the, I criticisms that I heard about it is people are like, Oh, they don't talk enough about slavery in the show. And my defense to that is one, does it, did it have to, this is the story about Alexander Hamilton. Like if you wanted it to be about slavery, you can make your own musical, but they do bring it up a lot. Like the character of John Lawrence constantly drops lines about how he wants to end slavery. And then, or uh, forming like an all African, you know, regiment. Italian. Yeah. Um, and one thing that you don't 
get from the soundtrack that you get from watching the movie is as soon as George Washington, I'm sorry, no, uh, Thomas Jefferson walks in, all of the chorus members get on the floor and, and start like scrubbing the floor as he's walking by because Thomas Jefferson had tons of slaves. And so like they didn't shy away from that at all. In Jefferson's opening song, uh, he says, he's like, he just got a, a letter. He said, Sally, will you be a darling and open that for me? And Sally was not his wife. I think Martha was his wife's name. And after his wife yeah, died, we, Sally was like we've, his baby mama or something. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've discussed Sally before when we uh, reviewed 1776. Right. Yeah. And so like, they don't shy away from that at all. And, David Diggs, who plays Jefferson, I think he was quoted as saying, like, Thomas Jefferson did a lot of really great things, but he sucks. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Like, they're able to back. point both those things out. I loved, uh, we had a guest on, like, two weeks ago to review Braveheart, and she said... The only thing I like about Thomas Jefferson is the fact that he invented the uh, wheelie chair. Right. <laughs> so. Man. The, yeah. Oh, go ahead. The, the guy playing him really hammed it up. Oh, yeah. And I'm thankful for That's, that. Another thing that they, uh, people who aren't familiar with theater are thrown off by is double casting. Like I know yeah. that really confused my wife when we first watched it is the fact that Lafayette and Jefferson were the same person and uh, John Lawrence and Philip Hamilton. So the, <clears throat> when I see movie people, people who aren't familiar with theater have a hard time picking up on it. I totally understand why. I mean, we weren't around. Maybe they were the same person in real life. Well, so. there was uh, logic in why they double-casted it the way they did. Um, Lafayette, French guy, Thomas Jefferson spent a lot of time in France, and their paths rarely overlapped. And then John Lawrence was, like, Hamilton's best friend, he dies, and so in the second act, same guy plays his son, who also dies. Uh, James Madison, uh, Her Hercules Mulligan, I think that was just uh, logistical. And then Peggy Schuyler died at a young age. She was like in her 20s. And so they have the actress play uh, Maria Reynolds, the guy that, the, the person that Hamilton sleeps with. So, like, there was some logic behind doing it other than logistical. And it also works in the opening number. You have, uh, at the very end, like, me, I fought with him, me, I died for him. That actually works with all of their characters because the people who say, me, I fought with him, were the people who fought next to him. But in Act 2, they also play the people that fought against Hamilton in politics. Anthony Ramos, who played... Philip and uh, John Lawrence says, I died for him because he died in both cases in some tangential way related to Hamilton. And then the women say, me, I loved him. And 
same woman plays Peggy, who is his sister-in-law, and then also the woman he had an affair with. So, like, in every way, the double casting works with, like, that moment in the opening, and it took me a long time to piece that together. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, like you said, if you're not familiar with, like, the theater world, it is something that can throw you through a loop. Um, You know, I was texting with, with Jack. This kind of brings me into the next uh, point I wanted to make, and I'll ask both of you this, but... uh Jack, who is your favorite character or individual that was casted in this uh, film? What was the dude's name that played Lafayette and slash Thomas Jefferson? David Diggs. That guy, I liked him. Yeah. Like I said, Thomas Jefferson, terrible person. But man, (laughs) he gave it his all. He made made, uh, Jefferson seem like a cool cat. Right. That's set up, yeah. That's that's set up for that uh, sick dunk where they were. What, what was it? A public debate they were at or something? The congressional. Uh, the congressional debate, yeah. rap battle. That's right. The cabin and battles is what they're called. <laughs> I, I never I, imagined. I like congressional rap battle better. <laughs> I think and, the next time there's a major debate on the House floor, it has to be done in the style of a rap. Yes. Right. Anyway, and that's set up for a sick dunk on Thomas Jefferson. It was like, we all know where you really got the, that money, or we, we know who really plants the seeds. Yeah. Being slaves. Uh, your, your debts are paid because you don't pay for labor. Is the line of something like that. <laughs> yeah. Dunked on. It's like, it's like uh, English open mic night. Right. Yeah. Um, I never thought that, uh, it'd be possible to make a debate about a national bank into a catchy song, but by God, they right. (laughs) Well, and like I said, the show itself is very dense and an interview that Lynn said is he said that it barely scratches the surface. He said, you could make an entire musical about hamilton forming the u.s coast guard and it gets you that's know, half that's the musical half i want to see right i think you you know I'll, I'll get to the next point that i i when talking about you know kind of throwaway lines but ben who is your your favorite character or casting in this i think i also gravitate to david diggs characters and he also has some of the best like rapping moments he does all of the fast rapping in it okay but i i also really like the character angelica i think is really great she she does get some great uh songs in this especially the uh the opening song with the is it skylar or schuler it's Skylar. It's spelled like Schuler, yeah. but it's yeah, Skylar Sisters. Yeah, that's one of the, my the favorite sc- songs in the show. Is is the it opening is, number? Like lots of songs in this are done excellently, but like the Skylar Sisters is truly a, a great piece. It also is one of the few that stands alone. Like you don't need the context of the show to listen to it. Right. I think. 
that brings me to my favorite casting. Like, you know, our listeners at home can't see it, but at the bot, like we've mentioned this before, our recording app allows us to have our name and then like a second row where usually people put like curator this, doctor that. Uh, me and Jack are idiots though, and uh, we just come up with silly little things. So mine is simping for GW. Um, I love George Washington in this. Uh, yeah, that's because I'm a I'm a George Washington fanboy. I uh, I actually have. I'm such a fanboy that last Fourth of July I got George Washington tattooed on my forearm. Um, there you go. But I don't think for me anything beats john groff's uh performance as uh king george oh yeah like that is yeah that's such an amazing thing and didn't he get a tony for his performance of that most likely yeah he's obviously steals the show and i frequently say that his his number you'll be back is kind of the gateway for most people into the show because it's the sort of typical musical theater number. It's the only one in the show that's like Absolutely. that. Also, like, it is like the typical musical theater number, but it's also so incredibly clever that, you know, obviously the, the point of the song is King George is talking about like, no, you, like it's, it's supposed to posit England's view of the colonies, which is no, you belong to me. You don't get to do whatever you want. But like the fact that they took it from like an abusive boyfriend, like right. point point of view, I was like, God, this is so clever. Like, yeah, and I love that he just reprises multiple times. And this is another thing that you know as a theater person that quite literally the only reason he has his reprise in act two when John Adams is elected is so that the actor had something else to do because otherwise he'd just be sitting backstage for all of act two. Like there's no logical reason why, Oh, you know what? How do we sum up John Adams presidency? Let's bring in King George, but the audience love him. So we're fine with it. Right. Um, I think that was one thing I was disappointed in was uh you know it's like like you said you could do a whole musical about alexander hamilton forming the coast guard but uh the fact that like john adams presidency is reduced to like two lines in a song from john groff and then yeah like <laughs> one line from hamilton which i appreciated the line which is you know sit down you fat motherfucker yeah um, which is obviously a reference to the musical 1776. Exactly. So, wonderful tie in there. Um, but like John Adams, like granted Alexander Hamilton had a contentious relationship with a ton of people, but I mean, yeah. like John Adams and Alexander Hamilton were, I wouldn't say nearly as equal of political rivals as he was to like Aaron Burr, but it was pretty bad. Like, yeah, there is multiple instances where it's recorded. They had like shouting matches at each other. Yeah. So two things. So there was a I don't know what network it was on, but there was a mini series about John Adams. HBO in the early 2010s. Yeah. And yep. 
that was a huge inspiration as to like how Lin Manuel crafted the character relationship. And he even said once he kind of considers that miniseries to be canon to Hamilton. That like that is the exact version of John Adams that is in the play, even though he's never actually in the play. But that song is actually was a lot longer uh, when he does that that line. There's a they release like a, a supplemental soundtrack a couple of years after the show came out called the Hamilton mixtape, and it has a lot of the deleted songs. And so there was this whole like super fast diss track on John Adams. Uh, and he, there's another reference to uh, 1776 is like, they've been calling you a dicks back in 76, but you really haven't done anything new since you knew since with no sense, you'll die over of irrelevance. Uh, go ahead. That was good. My intelligence. Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't care if this ruins my career. I'm confining it to one term or something like that. It's this it's this hilarious song, and they cut it for time because Act 2 just drags. But yeah, there's there was a lot more to it. I know there was also originally a third cabinet rap battle that included Benjamin Franklin. Like, there was a lot they had to cut just to keep it at the length that it is. Yeah, I, I could definitely see this uh, this musical going even longer than it originally was i i'm genuinely something you know like we were talking about earlier is you know obviously it comes off initially as a weird choice like really the guy on the ten dollar bill but you know the the iteration i i remember watching uh, an interview with lynn manuel where he's like yeah i was going on vacation and when I was at the airport, I just picked up the thickest book that I saw at the bookstore just to give me something to like focus on for the week. And it was uh, Ron Chernow's biography, Hamilton. And I was like, how close were we to getting any other like historical figure musical out of this? Because right, because you mentioned you had read it. Um, I have not read the book Hamilton because, and mind you, I do like Ron Chernow. He's a, he's a great writer, but the thing is, is every time he writes a book, it's like 800, 900 pages. It's a, it's an investment. I don't know if you can see yeah. it, but I have, I have his uh, biography on grants on my bookshelf, but I also, I have his biography of Washington and the people at home can't see it, but I can, I can use this to like tenderize a steak. It's so thick. Um, I think like, the audiobook was like forty-five hours or something like that. Oh yeah, it's it's a ridiculous amount of time. Um, but I was just like, how close were we to this being the musical Washington or the musical Grant? You know? Yeah. Well, and I don't know if I mean Grant. I guess would be a different one, but like. I don't know if he would have written a musical about Washington because most people know who Washington is. I didn't know anything about Alexander Hamilton before this show. Uh, I don't know that I ever learned about him in, you know, high school history. And so that was the thing is he found this, he found it was so intriguing that this person that 
he knew nothing. But he said the only thing that he knew about Hamilton prior to reading that book is that he knew that he died in a duel because he, on some school field trip, they visited the place in New Jersey where he died. And, and like, I didn't even know that either. And I love in the opening, the, the last line of the opening, or not the last line, but when, when Burr says, I'm the damn fool that shot him. And I, the first time I listened to it, I'm like, you're just going to spoil the show for us for that. But then I realized that actually was brilliant because if you knew the history, you would know the Aaron Burrs who shot him. If you didn't know the history, you're now on the same plane as the people who did. So you can see the tension building up throughout the show. Right. Like most people aren't going to be in on the finer details that this show is about is about showing um so i i I agree that's a a good little thing to like bring everybody to an equal plane yeah i there are several songs in the show that are very like self-aware like um like history has its eyes on you and the finale they like literally said every other founding father's story gets told every other founding father got to live old and they're like, but well, who's going to tell this person's story? And that's sort of the theme of it. Uh, the song burn that Eliza sings when she's burning the letters after Hamilton's affair, you can court, kind of imagine that that was written because, well, she destroyed all the historical evidence of her reaction. We don't know what her reaction was. So that's why they did it that way. Um, the room where it happens is another song like that, where it's Burr's like, if you're not in the room there, you don't actually know how the conversation went. You don't like, you, you don't know exactly how things came to pass. And if there's not like a historical record of it, then we in the modern day won't know either. So that's what I liked about it is there was a lot of sort of self-aware historical aspects to it. And even on a less, on a more emotional level, the song after Hamilton's son dies uh, is something like, you know, can you imagine? And I know Lynn said in an interview, he, he wrote that because he doesn't know what that's like. He doesn't know what it's like to lose a son in a violent way. And so that's why he wrote it that way. It's like, can you imagine like, you know, no one knows how he's feeling. So that's why it was written that way. Right. He definitely, you know, it's like we said before, he, this is very much in his style, but I think this really showcases how great of a writer uh, Lin-Manuel actually is. And I mean, granted, he has worked, he, he has a very solid piece of source material to work from using oh, yeah. Ron, Ron Chernow's book. Like the story is there, but the fact that he's able to convey that story as creatively as it does is is really uh like is really impressive yeah i i have some notes here of like the historical accuracy because that's one of the things i find interesting like my favorite genre of movie is is like docudrama and biopic like things that are based off of real life and that's the microphone over 
gesturing too much. Sorry. At this point, I have, I'm really good at picking up, like, when things are embellished or, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, clearly that's too convenient to have happened in real life. And so I'm always, like, super into the historical accuracy. And really, the only, like, major blatant departure from history is the whole love triangle between the Schuyler sisters. Uh that did exist, but by the time that they met, Angelica was already married. And, but there was romantic feelings between Angelica and Alexander, but Lin-Manuel thought that it would be a better story if she couldn't have him and decided not to. Whereas in reality, she was already married anyway. That, and he's very open about that. Like he has like an educational program for high schoolers that points out a lot of the historical inaccuracies. A lot of it has to do with uh, just minor characters like the duel in act one with John Lawrence, uh, Charles Lee's second in that show is in, in that song is Aaron Burr in reality it was some other guy, but they figured it would, just be faster to just use a character that the audience already knew rather than introduce this new minor guy who would never do anything else. And same with, uh, we know when the three of them are approaching Hamilton about the, the hush money, basically that, that was also three completely different people, but it just using the actors and the characters that audience already know just makes it easier to, to grasp that. Other than that, everything is basically exactly how the, biography states it and he didn't just reference Ron Chernow's book he obviously got some other sources but yeah it's it lays it out pretty accurately he he definitely like threw himself like wholeheartedly into this because I remember watching you know I think I think it was in the same thing that I saw where he got the idea for it I, I think it was like a making of type documentary but he's yeah. like, yeah, I I actually like stayed in a room of his house to write some of these songs for like inspiration. I'm like, that's that's like really digging deep where you're like, I'm going to change my environment for the sake of trying to write this. Yeah. And I guess I meant to mention this earlier. This wasn't when he had the idea it actually wasn't originally going to be a musical. He was just going to have it be an album because he didn't think that this would really work as a musical. And so that's why the musical is written. I don't know if there's like an official term, but I just say Shakespearean, like, which is that all of the dialogue describes most of the action. Like if you just listen to the soundtrack, you basically understand everything. And the visuals are just kind of a, a bonus to that. Right, And so he had written it to be an album and then it kind of became a musical from that. For that reason, I don't think that they should make a proper movie adaptation because so much of it is like literally the character saying, I'm walking over to James Madison and he's red in the face. It's written in such a way that everything is described for you. Yeah, it it probably wouldn't translate very well which 
that actually brings me to the next point that I wanted to make. So, Ben, have you seen the movie 1776 or the I have. It's been a while. I like saw it in middle school, I think. Oddly enough, that's also where I first saw it was uh, (laughs) middle school English. But uh, me and Jack, we reviewed it quite a while ago. So I I wanted to ask, I'll start with Jack, is obviously this, like 1776 started as a Broadway musical, and then they adapted it to a film, but they did, you know, the like Phantom of the Opera approach where they turned it into like a movie movie. It's not just a recording of the play. Right. Um, So that compared to this which is just a direct recording of the play jack what what did you find that you preferred like in terms of style or which movie just just the style did you prefer hamilton's approach to doing it as just a direct recording of the play or did you prefer 1776's like transforming it into a movie I think I liked the just recording of a play format, but with different camera angles. That's how I watched Miss Saigon. Okay. Yeah, so that method is called a pro shot, if it's professionally shot. And I think most people in the theater world will say that they prefer that. I don't know that there has been a single like Hollywood movie adaptation of a musical from the past 30 years that musical fans approve of because they generally, I think Phantom of the Opera might be like the only one, but they generally will make sweeping changes to the plot or just unnecessary changes. Whereas like back in the fifties and sixties, it was pretty commonplace to make a movie version of a musical, like three years after it came out with the same cast and, change very little of it like guys and dolls and music man and a bunch of those classics sound of even sound of music a little bit is sort of that it's a lot of the same cast from broadway and i just wish that they would do that more like i'm not looking forward to wicked coming out this year i the thing about phantom of the opera that kills me like i i've like i'm a big phantom of the opera fan um like I, I love both the Royal Albert Hall recorded iteration of it. I also enjoy the actual movie adaptation. The thing that kills me is why did we cast Gerard Butler as the Phantom only to have Antonio Banderas sing all of his parts? Why not just make Antonio Banderas right. the, the Phantom? Like this is like we were adding a step where we don't need it. Yeah, and that's the thing. It, like, they, In the Heights, Lynn's other musical was made into a movie. And I think it was released in 2021. And that one was so good on a production level, but then they decided to just like completely tear apart this one core character of it and just like ruin her whole arc and then like change major things about the plot at the end. I'm like, why did you do this? A lot of it I could tell was like Hollywood politics, but still, I'm just like, you can just leave it the same or you can do a professional shot of it because it was written to be a musical 
And so not all stories will adapt the same way to a movie. And yeah, it, the same thing. It's like with Phantom, it's like, okay, you can do a dub, but like, why would you? Why don't you actually showcase the the actors who brought these characters to life? They should have made a Phantom movie. In my opinion, they should have made a Phantom movie 10 years earlier and have Michael Crawford do it. Uh, but that would have been too perfect. I know, right? Heaven forbid we wait 20 years to make a Wicked movie and have freaking Ariana Grande be Glinda. So. I, I, don't, I don't know. I feel like there's a... Especially, I don't know how much you have delved into like the, the pop culture wars, if you will. But uh, I read the book, I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette uh, McCurdy, who was one of the actresses from iCarly. Right. Yeah. I've been meaning um, to read it. I haven't had the chance. Oh, it's, it is a fantastic book. It's a hard book to read, not not like stylistically or anything like that. It's just like it is such a heavy book that like I I could only read like one or two chapters at a time and I'll be like, okay, I need to take a break. Um it's it's a it's a heavy, heavy book. But after reading that book, I'm like I I get the feeling that Ariana Grande is like a Disney villain, like literally a Disney villain, because A, she works for the or was brought in by like the Disney corporation, but I was like Nickelodeon. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my bad on that one, but like just reading her book, is like all these things that like, like backdoor deals that involve like Ariana Grande. And then you think about like all, like everything that goes on with her, like music career, you're like, man, you, you must belong to like some sort of like secret organization to put you in power or something. <laughs> Yeah, that's my that's my conspiracy theory is Ariana Grande is trying to rule the world. But well, and people have been hating on Lin-Manuel Miranda for years because he keeps like landing these big projects with Disney because he wrote the music to Moana. He actually got the job for Moana before Hamilton even premiered. A lot of people think that the success of Hamilton led him to do Moana, but it was actually, he, he got the job with Disney before Hamilton. And then he did Encanto and then, you know, Disney bought the Hamilton film. And then like, he's in the Percy Jackson series and people are like, Oh, you know, he must have, you know, Disney in the palm of his hands and he must have a contract to do with things. And I'm just like, did anyone maybe consider the fact that he keeps getting successful jobs because he's talented. No, no. No, it has to be no. a conspiracy. Yeah, and that's the thing. And I I do agree people's uh, complaint about his casting as the lead. He has said that he didn't cast himself he the director of the show cast him it's just when you the way that musicals are made is you workshop them and you have just a group of friends test out the song in front of test audiences to... i think i think the criticism of like him being casted as hamilton like 
that doesn't bother me one bit like because uh, like he's in the theater community this isn't like the first time he's ever performed or anything like that is there better choices yeah but that doesn't mean he was a bad choice but like getting mad at lin-manuel for being cast as the lead in the musical he wrote is like getting mad at trey parker and matt stone for being the lead voice actors for anything any of their projects like it's like no shit it's their stuff they get to do what they want i think one of the other issues with that is that it's not that he's like he's not bad by any stretch of the imagination it's just the cast that he is surrounded by is so amazing that it just highlights his deficits a little more hi this is john i am recording this after the fact unfortunately the last 20 minutes or so of our podcast with ben was lost due to a technical error with our recording software uh, we deeply apologize for it uh, for those of you at home what you're missing out on is our drink reviews that we usually do each episode as well as our own individual rating for hamilton uh, we each gave it approximately a four to five out of five rating for this uh, particular film uh, again we would like to deeply apologize for not being able to provide you with the last 20 or 20 minutes or so of this show that being said if you all could support ben with his various projects uh, that would be greatly appreciated. You can find him on Etsy at Cinematic Scribbles. Uh, he's also on Instagram and other various platforms as at HowVeYouBen. I'm sure he would uh, greatly like additional likes, follows, subscribes, and what have you. Uh, if you did enjoy this episode up until this point, uh, we would also like... A review uh, the stars do matter um, if you'd like additional content from us you can find us across all different platforms at the armchair commanders podcasts until next week we appreciate you joining us